Hello and welcome to Occupied Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by the Foundation for Middle East Peace. I'm Laura Friedman. I'm the president of the Foundation for Middle East Peace. Today is May 25th, 2023, and I'm delighted to be here with two formidable experts on human rights and civil society. These are both people that we've had on podcasts and webinars before, and we're honored that they are joining us again today. Uh, The first is Francesca Albanese. Gosh, I love saying your name. Uh, Francesca is the UN Special Rapporteur on the Situation of Human Rights in the Palestinian Territories Occupied Since 1967. And our other guest is Jessica Montel. Jesse is the Executive Director of the Israeli Human Rights Organization Hamoked and formerly the Executive Director of the Israeli Human Rights Organization Bitsedem. So we will have full bios for the guests in the show notes, but I think everyone probably knows them. So thank you so much, both of you, for joining me today. Um, you. And you're joining me on short notice. Um, we're gathering today for an urgent conversation. Um, the news broke yesterday that three days from now, on Sunday, May 28th, the Israeli government's Ministerial Committee for Legislation, which is a body of ministers in the government which decides whether or not to give government backing to proposed legislation in the Israeli Knesset. Um, so on Sunday, they are scheduled to vote on an extremely dangerous bill targeting civil society, and in particular targeting the human rights sector and human rights organizations. Uh, this legislation would in effect remove the tax exempt status of these groups and replace it with an onerous and I would argue quite openly punitive um, or vindictive tax um, of 65% applied to the groups in income and or endowments. Um, Barring some shift in the current government's political calculus um, that might put the brakes on the advancement of this bill, uh, this is expected to be approved in this committee on Sunday and likely to be passed um, easily in the Knesset. We can talk about that. Um, So to get a sense of just the implications of this legislation to start us off why we are doing this so urgently, I'm going to quote an old friend and colleague um, who we all know, um, Israeli human rights attorney um, Michal Sfard, who is a legal advisor to many of the organizations um, in this sector. In December 2022, when the government's initial support for this bill was made public, Mikhail told Haaretz, quote, if this passes, it will be a fatal blow to the human rights community in Israel. This is a similar step to those taken against human rights organizations in undemocratic countries such as Poland, Hungary, and Russia. The inspiration comes from Putin and Orban. Other human rights leaders are also sounding the alarm, warning this legislation will quite literally devastate the civil society sector. Um, In the words of the Human Rights Defenders Fund, quote, it will effectively cripple all operations of human rights organizations in Israel. All of which is to say, this is urgent. Uh, The threat posed by this legislation cannot be overstated. So that's why we're having this conversation today. And I'm so grateful for both of you. So we're gonna jump right in. Okay, so we're gonna start with Jessica. So Jesse, as briefly as you can, (laughs) explain this bill. Um, What does it seek to do? How does it seek to do it? And, and, And what is the rationale behind it? Um, And then lastly, because I know this conversation has come up, this question has come up in every conversation I've had over the past 24 hours. How how does it manage this thing where you have a right-wing government targeting what it sees as left-wing progressive civil society? How do you craft a law that only hits the left and not the right of civil society or charitable organizations like hospitals, for example? Yes. So thank you for pulling this together quickly. As you said, it is uh, urgent and super important. Uh, The rationale for the bill is very clearly, as you said, to target uh, one side of the spectrum of civil society organizations. So it's targeting 
human rights organizations, critics of this government policy. And it does that by targeting a very specific type of foreign funding. Of course, we all know that, uh, you know, everything here uh, relies to a large extent on foreign funding. Uh, but they have uh, created two sort of um, subcategories. Number one, they're only targeting foreign government funding. So private funding, uh, you know, uh, Jewish billionaires from around the world that are funding the Kohelet Forum uh, that is advancing this uh, undermining of the judicial system, that is not at all affected. And the second thing it does is to say um, advocacy organizations, and it defines advocacy, uh, any group that is turning to the Israeli courts or to the Knesset or to any government ministry or working to affect uh, Israeli public opinion. So both of those things have to be true. You're an entity receiving foreign government funding and you're conducting advocacy with the courts or the Knesset or advancing uh, campaigns, public campaigns. You put those two together, you're talking about uh, human rights organizations, civil rights organizations, LGBT, women's rights, those are the organizations that are being targeted. Now, I still think the current draft catches, uh, it spreads a very wide net. And I think a lot of groups are going to pay the price for this that they maybe don't realize. I mean, it would be enough, even a university that also is launching a lawsuit about anything, it seems to me might also be affected. And then what the law says is those groups that would be affected lose their status as public entities, also under the tax code, uh, and still the language is not very clear what it means in terms of you know VAT and other tax that currently we are exempt from. But the major blow is that foreign government funding will now be taxed at 60%, 60%. So it's outrageous, I mean, from a tax perspective that you are paying uh, uh, more than half uh, of the revenue as a tax. It seems very, very clear that the intention is to shut down these organizations. I mean, Israel that sees itself as a liberal democracy doesn't want to pass a law criminalizing my organization, Hamuked. So instead, they're going to make it impossible for us to receive the funding to continue our operations. Thanks. I, I just want to confirm, I'm looking at the translation. And it says 65%. It's, is it 65 or 60? The translation I'm looking at I'm looking at in addition to paragraph 129F I, and it yes, says we'll be taxed. Yes, yeah. you're right, 65%. Yeah, um, so just to make sure that's great, straight. So so I wanna keep with you for one second and, and you, you talked about, so your organization, Hummelkid. So just, I mean, giving people a concrete example, what does this mean if you're willing, if you're comfortable doing this, using your own organization as an example sure. of what the impact of this would be on the functioning of, a highly, um, a highly esteemed human rights organization that has been operating for, for decades in Israel. So Hamoked is basically a legal aid office for Palestinians under occupation. We are providing free legal aid to hundreds of uh, individuals and families every year, uh, submitting dozens, even hundreds of petitions to Israeli courts on their behalf. And the budget of Hamuked is $1.6 million. Uh, of that, 70% is coming from 
the European Union, uh, the government of uh, Germany, Switzerland, Holland, uh, Norway, those are our major donors, UN agencies that are also included in this definition. So all of that funding, uh, we would then have to pay a 65% tax. It's not clear. Um, uh, not all of the governments would be able to continue providing that assistance if 65% is going to the government. So in some cases, uh, um, you know, maybe there would be some workaround, but anyway, it's a big reduction in our income. And for some of those donors, it would be prohibitive. They would no longer be able to be funding Hamuked. So that's a 50% reduction. Uh, now, I, um, of course, um, uh, this is a, a call to everyone who supports Israeli human rights organizations. Uh, you know, let's hope that it would bring in new donations from individuals and private institutions who are outraged about this uh, attempt to shut down Israeli human rights organizations. But, you know, barring some miracle, uh, all of the organizations like us would have to be cutting 50% of our staff, 50% of our operations, 50% of our uh, legal aid that we are providing. Thanks. And, and I'll just add, and I'm coming to you next, Francesca, get ready. Um, a couple of things. One I will say is, I think it's worth noting that the Israeli government does direct funding of NGOs around the world in support of its agenda. There's a certain cognitive dissonance here in this approach, which basically says foreign government funding is illegitimate. Israel does exactly that for things like fighting BDS and promoting the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism and all that. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing I'll say for people who aren't following this closely, the U.S., this would affect U.S. funding because the U.S. actually has a program, the Nita uh, Lowy Middle East Partnership for Peace Act under Congress that was approved in 2020, bipartisan, strongly supported. Um, I don't see how that could continue under this legislation. And I would also add that just ironically, the U.S. has law, it's in the annual foreign ops law, which has its genesis way back when, when Congress was afraid that Arafat was going to be trying to get hold of U.S. taxpayer funding by taxing USAID. So they have this legislation annually that bars the taxation of U.S. foreign aid, um, which would then mean that under this law, the U.S. couldn't fund um, the Nidaloe Fund, um, the, the Nidaloe Partnership for Peace um, Act, um, which I think is somewhat uh, ironic. And the last thing I'll just throw in, because I've been reading a lot about this in the past few days, the argument is often made that this legislation is, is similar to um, U.S. Um, foreign agents le uh, legislation, the Foreign Agents Registration Act. And here I just want to quote Ted uh, Ned Price, who was speaking a few months ago in the context of another anti-NGO uh, law. This is in the Republic of Georgia, where he said, and just to remind people, quote, our Foreign Agents Registration Act requires people who are agents of foreign governments to register as such. Our law does not affect NGO operations or funding sources. So it's not, there's nothing complicated there. It simply doesn't do that. Um, all right, Francesca, I want to come to you. Yesterday, you tweeted about this pending legislation. You tweeted, quote, Israel has no legal authority to prevent offers of assistance to Palestinians in the occupied territory, which this bill will do. A 65% tax on foreign aid to Israeli and Palestinian human rights and humanitarian groups will hamper human rights work and relief and infringe on self-determination. Um, so added to that, I want to quote um, a tweet from um, legal expert Itai Epstein, who works with the Norwegian, Norwegian mm -hmm. Refugee Council, I think. Um, and Itai tweeted as part of a thread, 
quote, read in conjunction with the draft bill tabled by, this is two other right-wing MKs, to automate the, transp the transposition of Israeli civil law to occupy Palestinian territory. The bill imposing a tax would apply to Palestinian NGOs in the West Bank and Gaza, obstructing aid to their critical humanitarian and human rights mission. So can you walk us through your analysis? What does international law say with respect to Israel seeking to, in effect, block NGOs from offering help to Palestinians or indeed helping them directly inside occupied territories? And how, in your in your view, would this law hamper human rights work um, or harm humanitarian efforts or infringe on the right to self-determination for Palestinians? Uh, thank you so much, Lara, and uh, also Jessica for, for being uh, together, for bringing us together, Lara. Um, there is so much to unpack of this disturbing move. Uh, but there is one aspect I would like, before I answer your question, I would like to go to concerning the jurisdictional, um, the, the jurisdiction of this legislation, because it, it applies to uh, Israel and East Jerusalem, which Israel considers annexed. So all the organizations, uh, Israeli and Palestinian organizations registered either in Israel or uh, East Jerusalem, many Palestinian organizations like JLAC or Coalition for uh, Civil Action are Jerusalem registered. But there is an element that there is another bill, that, I, and Jessica, correct me if I'm wrong, but there is another bill uh, tabled. I think it's the bill to amend the directive of government and judicial order. Um, which imposes the IDF commanders the obligation to transform Israeli civil law in military orders governing the OPT, unless there is an exception made by the Knesset itself. So this is just to say, we are not just in, in perspective, if this bill passed, uh, passes. Actually, if these two bill passes, on the one hand, we will have this 65% taxation operating to all Israel and East Jerusalem registered organizations, but also, but also through the second bill, uh, the, the, this legislation is going to affect, this is my reading, this is going to affect also other organizations registered with a Palestinian, with a Palestinian authority operating in Ramallah or operating in Gaza. So extremely, extremely dangerous. Let's go to the to the legal analysis. Yes, I said that this uh, this this law is this draft bill, the proposed bill, is against um, international law. It's an inf it infringes on international law. But so first, first and foremost, because uh, it operates within the existential unlawfulness of Israel's occupation of Palestinian territory, which gives Israel no legitimacy to exercise its authority in the West Bank, including this Jerusalem and the Gaza Strip. However, under international law, whenever authority, authority is exercised, it must comply with the applicable international law, which is humanitarian law, uh, as it is, it's a military occupation, and human rights law. Accordingly, and this is the Geneva Convention, Article 59, saying that, he, that Israel has cannot hampered the delivery of humanitarian relief and any impediment to this uh, to, the, to, to, to such a delivery is to be um, determined by necessity and proportionality so the impact on the on the civilian population and um, the other element is waived in is by human rights law which applies 
within Israel and the occupied Palestinian territory. And there is a clear compression of the freedom of expression and freedom of association. Also because in the rationale, as, as Jessica was saying, the rationale of this law for those who take the time to read it, it's expressly to target that human rights community which uh, criticizes, scrutinizes Israel's practices. And uh, this is discriminatory. Yet another, another layer of discrimination that of, and that legal dualism that characterizes Israel's apartheid. And um, again, Jessica said it in a way uh, that there are th those, uh, and it's intended in my view, those uh, um, organizations who received their funds other than uh, um, through uh, foreign governments, primarily through private donors, they are sheltered. And of course, this is part and parcel of that um, uh, group of organizations whose job is, as I think that Neve Gordon and Nicola Perugini in their book, uh, uh, Legal Shields, put it beautifully. This is uh, to exercise the human rights to dominate. Thank you. Um, I, I want to follow up on a, a couple of those things, but going back to something that Jessica said, I mean, there's this divide in Israel um, in the funding, right? So you have effectively, you have organizations that support what, what I think are increasingly called Jewish rights, Jewish privileges, Jewish supremacy, and they are usually funded by private foundations, private individuals, including a lot of wealthy donors in the United States and historically, you know, oligarchs. Um, and, and, and we see this, uh, Jessica mentioned Kohelet, which has suddenly become known to people because of its role in, in pushing for the judicial reform in Israel, but they've also been active in many other things. And on the other side, you've got the funding for um, democracy, human rights, free speech, civil society, all of these things that are part of a, a democratic agenda. Um, and a lot of this is funded primarily by foreign states and by the European countries. So can you talk a little bit about European funding for Israeli human rights organizations? And I mean, where does this come from? Why, what is this kind of work that Europeans fund in Israel and for Palestinians and more broadly? And what is the interest of foreign states, Europe and others in funding this? Why do they do it? Are you asking me, sorry? sorry. Yes, Francesca, that's also yeah. for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, sorry, I couldn't, I didn't get it. Look, I think there is there is an, an intimate dilemma in um in um state other states funding um funding um organizations in uh, I mean foreign foreign aid. Uh, there is a genesis that some criticize in the fact that there is Western countries uh, having provided support to developing countries and um, under the, let's say, under the guise of supporting the development of democratic institutions by their financial aid, uh, they have made sure that this, this that the aid vehicled a sort of... Uh, Western democracies, foreign policy. This has been a trait of uh, the, the foreign aid system in the post Second World War era. At the same time, despite recognizing um, the sort of originally patronizing matrix of this type of support, I, I do see that there is a, an incredible promise and hope that goes with, uh, with the human rights commitment of uh, um, foreign aid, and this is an 
an element of honesty in, uh, in financing the protection of human rights abroad, as the codification and creation of human rights mechanism ha has uh, testified. So I, I think that because civil society is cardinal to the organic formation and functioning of a polity, which is the beating heart, the beating heart of a healthy society where self-determination operates, there is nothing wrong in in receiving uh, for civil society in receiving support from other countries, especially in a situation like um, Israel slash occupied Palestinian territory, because there is and such an imbalance of power between the Palestinians and um, and Israel, Israeli institutions, Israeli settlers. So for me, civil society is the pillar of whatever democratic there is in Israel is the pillar. And it's also the place where Israeli Jews and Palestinians with Israeli citizenship meet and work together healthily for a, for a democratic society. So from, this is why this, I, I, read, I read this bill with extreme, extreme concern. And there is another element very briefly. I find this, uh, because the, the bill is so explicit, in, reject, in rejecting the donor, donor funding coming from, from Europe or from the US, it's clear that it's a very unfriendly move toward friendly states and it should be treated as such. So Thank if you. I can add two, just two quick points on this measure. One, you know, Israelis tend to think that there's something very strange about the US and Europe intervening into our, you know, internal affairs, as if the occupation of the Palestinians is an internal Israeli matter, but even countering discrimination inside Israel, that that is some, you know, strange and anomalous intervention. But in fact, you know, the Hamoked equivalent in every country in the world is being supported by the European Union. I mean, it, it, the European Union that has an instrument to be supporting human rights and democracy around the world. The exact same work that we are doing, the EU and member states will be supporting in Colombia and in the DRC and in Hong Kong. Uh, you know, again, human rights around the world, they are applying those same engagement in terms of Israel and the Palestinians. And the second point, uh, again, the popular framing of this is that somehow Europe is hostile to Israel, and that's the reason they are supporting Israeli human rights organizations. In fact, uh, we are benefiting from European generosity in every sector of Israeli society. So, I mean, billions and billions of euros going to support every worthwhile project, environmental and water and research, you know, cancer research, universities, uh, everything is being supported by uh, the European Union uh, and also from the United States, but the bulk of the money coming from the European Union. And it's laid out in this uh, treaty between the, the association agreement between Israel and Europe that sets out five pillars for cooperation, Israel and the European Union. The governments have agreed on five pillars mm -hmm. governing all of their cooperation, scientific achievement, environmental um, uh, counterterrorism and security and peace and human rights. So it is, uh, you know, Israel and Europe have agreed that Europe will be investing 
in human rights. So as Francesca said, I mean, the, the states, uh, Israel's allies should treat this as a very, um, you know, insulting uh, slap in the face to their engagement and support for Israeli institutions. Thanks for that. I was also thinking two, two things I thought of as we were talking here. One is that I'm old enough to remember when the government of Egypt was going after some of the democracy human rights groups that were supported by the U.S. government, claiming this was some sort of U.S. government plot against them. And the response of, of successive U.S. administrations in Congress was, Thou don't don't absolutely not don't go there. This is part of our relationship. And if you go after this, there will be heavy, heavy consequences. The other thing I was thinking of, and this really goes, you know, to your experience, Jessica. I mean, there was a time when, you know, when Francesca talks about the human rights organizations being, you know, at the center of a healthy, the heart, the heart, beating heart of a of a healthy society, there was a time when Israel celebrated its human rights NGOs, right? Um, it, it, and maybe you want to reflect a little bit on what's changed politically when when it shifted to those NGOs being considered an enemy. I, I would argue it shifted about the same time that Israel shifted away from um, really any pretense of, of, of you know, a, wanting a negotiated solution with the Palestinians. Um, but actually, that, that, that flows into my next question, which is for you, Jessica. So, I mean, for people who don't know the history, this is not the first time that the NGO sector in Israel has been targeted. There have been previous laws passed by the Knesset to try to discredit, delegitimize the human rights sector. Most notably in 2016, we had really what was a compromise after a more, a more um, robust, after, after legislation that was much tougher, you had a kind of compromise known as the NGO law, which literally seeks to delegitimize progressive civil society by in effect painting its NGOs as foreign agents, which is the language used by illiberal governments around the world when they're talking about NGOs, the NGO sector. Under this law, the organizations are required that receive a majority of their funding from foreign governments um, have to basically state on all their publications that they are foreign funded. Uh, this is intended to be a badge of shame. I don't think it's actually worked out that way. Um, notably, this requirement, again, was not imposed on Israeli NGOs that receive private foreign funding, not an issue. And, 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 you know, in the past, we also saw, as I said, much tougher legislation seeking to impose restrictions and, and punishment on civil society. So my question for you now is, what prevented the passage of this more onerous legislation in the past? The legislation was intended, you know, 10 years ago to kill civil society. And what is why is it different today? Why are we more worried today? Um, and and what does history tell us about what may be able to stop this if it is if it is stoppable? Yes, great question. So as you have said, there have been several efforts over the years, some of which partially succeeded, uh, imposing laws against the same group of organizations, and they have um, uh, identified what they see as our Achilles' heel being foreign government funding. That is what differentiates us from all of the foreign funding going to all sorts of initiatives, including the ultranationalists that are getting massive foreign funding, but not from foreign governments. And in the past, uh, it has mostly been the very, very outspoken uh, opposition of the US and Europe to these proposals that um, succeeded in preventing some of them and in uh, you know, watering them down enough. I mean, the NGO law, which as you said, is supposed to discredit us and be a badge of shame, 
and this reporting burden that we have to report quarterly to the NGO registrar, whereas every other organization is reporting every year. So we learn to live with this and, you know, move on. It hasn't uh, in any way disrupted our activities. Uh, although initially the proposals were equally uh, draconian in the past. And again, the, the very uh, concerted efforts of friends abroad uh, succeeded in preventing that legislation. So that has to be the model here. And again, Europe that is giving billions of dollars to Israel cannot accept uh, you know, that, that Israel wants to continue enjoying 99% of that generosity and prevent the 1% to human rights organizations. I mean, this relationship has to be a package deal. That has to be the message from mm. the United States and from Europe. You're not going to dictate to us, uh, you know, within this relationship, uh, all of our generosity going to advance all of these worthwhile projects that we have agreed on. But I want to touch on one more point about the why now. I mean, why with such ferocity we're seeing um, this legislation and you have other proposals uh, to be restricting, I mean, under the guise, some of them of transparency, which is ridiculous because the human rights sector is the most transparent of all of uh, Israeli civil society. Uh, the organizations that are attacking us, it is very unclear where they are getting a lot of their funding. So clearly transparency is not what is motivating. But if you and look- can I, just, can I just add there? I mean, in some cases, I'm thinking of like El-Ad, the government has actually intervened to block transparency. When people have sought to find out the funding of some of these groups, they've said, oh, for security reasons, you can't know who the donors are. I mean, it's right. literally- they are allowed, Yes, they are allowed to obscure some of their donors, whereas we are 100% transparent. But if you look at the legislative agenda, at the campaign, at the at the coalition agreements of this government, uh, you know, you have all of these attacks now undermining the Israeli judiciary, uh, you know, politicizing the appointments of judges, weakening uh, the judiciary. You have all these attacks on uh, ways of limiting, shutting down, restricting human rights organizations. And both of those two things are very clearly motivated by the third agenda. You see, I mean, when we look at what is coming up for approval on Sunday, along with the NGO law, laws um, to prohibit waving a Palestinian flag, laws to uh, further annexation, uh, uh, de facto and de jure annexation of the West Bank, laws perpetuating uh, discrimination, entrenching discrimination between Jews and Palestinians. So what is stopping their, you know, as you said, the Jewish supremacist agenda? Uh, it is the Israeli courts, partially, and it is the Israeli human rights community. So it's not a coincidence that they are trying to be weakening, uh, you know, all watchdogs and all restraint on their agenda um, when, you know, their, their ultimate goal is to be advancing uh, uh, this agenda of annexation, discrimination, segregation, um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's black on white in terms of all of the different measures that they mm -hmm. are promoting. So it's important to connect the dots, I think, between these three different arenas where we are struggling. Mm 
Hmm. Yeah, thank you. And I, I would just remind people also we've seen, and, and this now goes back far enough that people have made, some people may have forgotten that this is also in the context of the attack that started under the previous government against Palestinian NGOs. When we saw six um, of the most prominent Palestinian NGOs, including Al-Haq, which is arguably the most important and respected um, human rights organization in the region, labeled by the previous Israeli government as terrorist organizations. And that that stands today and so far has been largely ignored by the world and the support continues to go forward, but it's part of that broader, that broader attack. Okay, yes, Francesca, we're coming to you. We're winding up. I don't want to take people. They're taking a lot of. Uh, there's a lot to cover here, and I, I I don't want to overwhelm people. So, I want to sort of zoom out. Undermining and delegitimizing and harassing and seeking to disable the work of human rights and democracy defenders is part of the right wing and I would even say fascist playbook worldwide. Um, and here I want to quote from a recent report from the Netherlands Helsinki Commission. Um, quote, there has been an increase in governmental regulation of foreign funding across the former Soviet Union region over the past two decades. I know Israel probably doesn't want to be compared to the former Soviet Union region, but it's applicable here. Um, quote, this highlights the growing backlash against the liberal international order and the organizations it has sponsored, including international and domestic human rights and media organizations. The growing trends of laws on funding is associated with a backlash against civil society groups around across the globe with NGO funding restrictions spreading throughout the international system, blah, 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 blah. Such laws are often justified by appeals to the protection of national sovereignty and defense against corrosive foreign influence. However, in reality, they provide a, provide a means to curtail the ability of NGOs to operate while also infringing on freedom of association. Countries such as Russia, Azerbaijan, and Belarus have been particularly active in adopting and enforcing these types of laws. Um, and this, by the way, this was released in the context of a law in Georgia, the Republic of Georgia was being considered. Mm -hmm. So that's the context, right? Globally, people, illiberal, illiberal fascist regimes have seized on going after NGOs as a powerful tool for repressing um, civil society, quashing dissent, all of that. So given that context and given what we were just talking about, how do you expect states that fund civil society and human rights organizations in Israel and the West Bank, that's occupied territories, how do you expect them to respond? Um, or even in the UN, you know, will, will there be a cutoff of aid and will people walk away from this basically saying we can't do anything? And here we're effectively giving up a pretense of standing with international law and, and rights. Um, and what consequences um, do you do you see based on your experience in, in this? What consequences do you imagine Israel could face or might face um, for this direct attack, not only on civil society, but as both of you have said, by extension on these governments who are allied governments that are deeply engaged with the government of Israel, deeply invested in Israel, you know, who, who are also also effectively under attack by it? And this will be the, the last question. So if you want to add anything onto that, you can. And Jessica, if you have any last words, think about them now. Okay. So look, I, I'd like to start from what you just said. What consequences um, Israel should face and might face? I think that there is an abyss between what it should face and might face. <laughs> because it's, um, and it's the experience which tells me that uh, over this, uh, the past year where I've been a uh, I've been acting as a special rapporteur. I've I've seen myself the reluctance of states who preach 
human rights compliance day in and day out when it comes to, I mean, there is such an incoherence when it comes to, to Israel. There is this inability of putting the various dots together. Let me say, and we, you and I have been talking about, for example, the instrumentalization of the, of the fight against anti-Semitism. This is another part of it, the criminalization of BDS activities. It's all part of this authoritarianism that doesn't want liberal voices that are seen, are, are seen as liberal to cast, uh, to taint Israel's reputation as the only democracy in the Middle East. Because Israel is clearly against anything that can taint that facade. So organizations like Hamoket, Yeshdin, Betzel, Breaking the Silence, if you look at the last report that, um, that I've produced, it's not public yet, but it's about the privation of liberty. The work of these organizations is essential. It's essential not just because it corroborates what the Palestinians have to say, no, but because it hands from another perspective, from another analytical angle, what, um, um, I mean, it puts, it puts another kind of weight on what Israel is doing. And because as many, many of these organizations are Israelis, of course, there is an attempt to silence them. And there is no other way than calling it authoritarianism the sooner the sooner friendly states of i mean states friends of israel understands it the better for the israeli society because eventually this is not just against the palestinians who have paired who have paid the brunt of this kind of authoritarian oppressive policies since ever this is going to be detrimental to Israelis, the Israeli society and Jewish Israeli societies who have so far enjoyed a, a, a margin of, uh, of freedom. And now everything they are doing to preserve freedoms for everyone is at risk. Well, so I add, I add on to Francesca's point, because of course, if the main target is human rights organizations defending Palestinians, Categorically, the victims will also be women's rights organizations, LGBT rights, religious pluralism, which for this government, even if it's not the intention, it's just an added bonus to be to be silencing and shutting down those organizations as well. And the fear, I mean, my concern, because it's such a, a draconian proposal, 65 percent tax, uh, you know, we shouldn't suddenly if they reduce it to 25 percent. Yeah. You know, we should not suddenly think that we have won the battle or if they carve out an exception for USAID funding, you know, or for German government funding, but leave the rest um, targeted. I mean, there has to be a united stand of the international community against any sort of uh, interference and restrictions on the ability of organizations to function and to receive support. Thank you. I think that's really well said. And, and, you know, at the end of the day for, you know, for years, um, you know, when you argue about what, you know, criticism of Israel and what it's doing, people say, well, you know, but there's always somebody worse. That's always the answer. And I, I used to say, if like, if your defense of what Israel is doing on the ground to the Palestinians is that country X is doing things worse, in principle, I've already won this argument because you're, you're not able to defend what they're doing. You just want to deflect. And, and here we have, I mean, it's really, it, it, it's, it, 
it's unavoidable. I mean, as Israel moves with this kind of with this kind of move, as it puts itself in the company of the most repressive, illiberal regimes in the world. I mean, it's already doing that in so many ways. We saw that again in 2021 with the attacks on the Palestinian civil society sector. Um, with this one, in, in moving into joining this so wholeheartedly, this trend of trying to just utterly and and unapologetically repress the part of civil society that is critical. Um, maybe it's a you always well, you always hope there's going to be that clarifying moment uh, for people who are watching who who've managed to have their heads in the sand or somehow avoid the conclusion that this is something they need, they need to stand up and and pay attention to. Um, maybe this is that clarifying moment. I'm going to going to keep hoping. I'm not super optimistic, um, but I'm hopeful also that conversations like this will help at least make people stop and think. And and maybe if they don't agree with it, they don't think they agree with what was said or they they don't believe it. This is an opportunity for them to go and do some research on their own. And we will include mm -hmm. in the show notes with this uh, podcast links to, I think, every every resource that's been mentioned, everything that's been quoted. Um, I would encourage people to do their own research and, and look into this trend worldwide, not just in Israel, because it really is, um, it's quite chilling. And, and for those of us who sit in the United States and in Europe and in this, this vaunted, you know, free expression, democratic post-World War II, liberal world order framework, um, I think it's important to understand how that's being eroded. Um, and, and when ostensibly um, a, a country like Israel is doing that, a country that ostensibly claims um, democratic values and rights and all that, um, I think it really is a moment to, to think about what, what this attack means. Okay, so with all of that, thank you so much, Jessica, Francesca, for joining me on short notice, for sharing your time and your analysis today. I warn you, I will probably come back to you again in the near future for more. Uh, thank you to our listeners and for anybody watching this. This is going to be, the video will be on our YouTube channel and you can obviously uh, catch this podcast um, on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Spotify. Uh, you should subscribe. That way you don't miss any of the great content that we're producing. Uh, you can find all the information to watch this or subscribe on www.fmep.org. And with that, I'm Laura Friedman signing off until the next episode of FMEP's Occupied Thoughts. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Courage, Jessica.